Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. So last time we we ended, uh, we um, were talking about, you know, the um, what 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 makes a tyranny a tyranny. And um, I think we said at the end of that that we were going to go straight into resisting tyranny on this episode. So, why should we, well, let's first, let's recap, like, what is tyranny? Tyranny is any form of government that goes outside of its God-ordained station or realm of authority. So, for instance, a um, a, a tyrant could be something as minor as um, overtaxing the population. Uh, tyranny could be anything from um, re- requiring you to eat cookies uh, even though that, you know, cookies are good and all, but the government should not enforce you to eat or inject cookies. So, defining tyranny is is, is crucial because we can't just say that government, by necessity of being government, is a tyranny upon the people. Uh, God has laid specific boundaries uh, for what the government is actually ordained to do and that's to enact justice you know as the chief one this goes back to the romans 12 and 13 issue that's always brought up in these conversations where you know in romans 13 it talks about how we should submit ourselves to government because government is ordained by god to to oppress that which is evil and to laud that which is good um the function of the state is to provide people with a stable environment in which to live to a degree. It can't be overstabilizing because there's limits to what the government should be involved with. And, and these limits have been pretty, pretty much explored um, through uh, the judges and through the kings and the chronicles in the Old Testament and into various passages, including Romans 12 and 13, um, in regards to the, the state, what the state is required to do by God, what is the function of the state. This is one of the three forms of government, which Dabney gets into. You know, First is uh, the civil government, which is what, what we're talking about now. The second is the church, which is your spiritual governance. And the third is the family, which has to do with nurture, education, and protecting and presiding. Well, I'm 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 pulling off of Wilson a little bit here because he Wilson breaks it down as as uh, education, uh, nurturing, or reproduction, and welfare. I think I watched that video today, actually. Mm. But, um, so, what should Christians do about tyranny? Uh, should we just let the government overstate its bounds, or should we actually resist? Um, I would argue, Dabney would argue, the founders of this country would argue, the, uh, the great men that founded the Confederate States of America would argue, that when tyranny oversteps its bounds so egregiously it is by necessity that the people must and should resist i think the uh the quote that's accredited to thomas jefferson is resistance to tyrants is obedience to god i've always liked that phrase but i don't think i ever actually understood it until i understood the the proper ordained role of uh of government and what tyranny actually is. Like, I always thought that tyranny was just some despotic dictator. No. Tyranny is anything where a government goes outside of its station. So, and this this could be within all three realms of government. A husband can be a tyrannical husband. And a pastor can be a tyrannical pastor. And all three of those should be resisted. So what separates... Resisting a tyrant to just simple and uh, egregious rebellion. Uh, now, I think. By, by the way, just just to interject here a bit, 
um, the, the resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Jefferson quoted that, but it it's originally comes from John Knox. Oh, I stand corrected. It comes from an even greater source. It comes from the great Scotsman John Knox. What separates resisting the government, resisting a tyrant, to actual rebellion? Uh, Paul argues that rebellion is a sin. And um, I believe it's Paul that says that rebellion is akin to witchcraft. Disobedience is as to a sin of witchcraft. Yeah, oh, that's, that's was... still rebellion, though. Well, I think, I think was, the King James was, calls it rebellion, if if I recall correctly. Well, I think he's talking about children in relation to their parents. Well, yeah, yeah, but then using the general equity principle and exegesis, we we can still see that you know that that the citizen rebelling against its government would be akin to a a child rebelling against their parents, uh, to a lesser or greater degree. Like that, those would still be. Fifth Commandment violations, you know, um, you know, uh, just just using the general principle and that uh, that most theonomists would would make that distinction. Do you agree with that? Right. It, uh, well, so I, I would I would lean more on the on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, and 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 Dabney Dabney doesn't go as far as the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Um, although I would I would lean more towards that direction. Um, in his in his position, the magistrate who's required to fulfill a law that's evil should resign his position. Whereas I would say that a magistrate who's required to fulfill an evil law should resist that evil law by appealing not only to the traditions that overwhelm that law or o- overrule that law, but also appealing to the higher authority, which is God, to his authority his 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 uh, the the his direct authority so a a specific way in which this is seen in acts which is which is in my current reading um paul when he's confronted by the jews the jews at this point were under Rome, roman authority appealed to his roman citizenship as a way to deal with the regions the Roman regent, instead of having to deal with the local Jewish authorities. And so this is actually him appealing to the higher authority and and trying to escape injustice that was being imposed upon him. So there's ways in which you can do this, which is more... Um, it, there, there's a, additional avenues you can take that I don't think... Um, Dabney really gets into here. I don't know if this is an aside from what he's talking about fully or not. I don't think it is. Um, but he seems to just have the position that if a lesser magistrate is required to, you know, um, exact an evil law, he should just resign and then uh, passively resist as a subject of that of that authority. Whereas I would say that the and and I and I think I'm on good ground here. I would say that the 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 magistrate should not resign his position and appeal to the older laws, the older tradition, and to the higher authority of God as to why he shouldn't actually enforce that law. Well, I mean, bringing it back to a uh, 2021, you know, I'm trying to want to keep these podcasts fairly evergreen, but we're we're in the year of 2021, and um, I'm gonna make some. Uh, innuendos i guess you some code words if you will uh that uh james white and apologia uh churches has been you know i'm going to use their same analogies but if if the government requires you to eat or inject cookies uh the lesser magistrate should fight for its citizenry on their behalf because the law of the land specifically goes against that. Okay, in, in America, that would be the United States Constitution. That is the law of the land, not the cookie mandates. All right. Well, and this is where I think perhaps this might be an aside from what he's talking about, because uh, Dabney in, in, in other areas has not been against using the older laws to fight this unjust law. 
Um, it seems to be that this might be a law that's incumbent within the legal system of wherever this person is. So if they're in a pagan nation that enforces a pagan religion, they would have to resign their position as a magistrate in that pagan uh, country and just passively resist that religion being enforced upon them. Right. I mean, well, it's, essentially that comes down to where does the power of the magistrate come from? Even in the pagan nations, uh, there are certain universal um, rules that govern it. Like, even the pagan nation, the magistrate is still ordained by God. But where does the magistrate de derive its power from? It is not from the rulers, the ones over the magistrate. So it's not the um, it, it's not the king that gives the sheriff the 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 power, but rather the ones that the sheriff rules over that actually gives the sheriff his power to fulfill that 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 office. I mean, we we can see it. I mean, so yeah, a king may ordain the sheriff or or establish the sheriff, install the sheriff, whatever word you want to use, but they have no power unless the people actually say, "Okay, we give. We'll we'll, we'll let you uh we'll let you do what you want." And we, and we can see this in these very ungovernable areas. So, so take the mountainous people, right? They, uh, they, if they didn't want to be ruled by the uh, magistrate, they very well could just resist and go into a form of rebellion. And uh, there's really not a dang thing that the uh, that the magistrate can do. Uh, but which is why they usually they usually elected or established or ordained sheriffs that had the trust and the the temperament according to the people. Right. Uh, even if they had to import a sheriff, they would always pick one that the, that the local, that the local people respected. It, usually a, a wise ruler would do that. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, we, the, the key word there is wise. I mean, um, not, mo not all rulers are wise. Uh, we, we have plenty of, Ter examples of terrible uh, rulers. Uh, but, yes. but where does that dividing line come from between for the individual, like, okay, so the, the magistrate refuses to do his job. Where is the dividing line at for the individual citizen? Where, what's the line between a citizen resisting and a citizen rebelling? Alright? So, so I think Dabney gets into it, uh, uh, fairly accurately, if, if if I can, um, you know, not to not to toot his own toot his horn too much, but uh, it, it's it's when the individual resists for a greater purpose than just for private wrong. So, for for instance, let's let's just you know just just say me for an example. Just it, this isn't me, but just as an example, uh, if I was to resist a specific tax. That our magistrate, that our local county magistrates levied upon me, and I just, you know, I, I don't want to pay it. Okay, I think the tax is unjust, and that's just my personal opinion, but I, I'm just not going to pay it. Well, that would be rebellion, thus, I would argue sinful. But if it's for like a greater good, say a cookies mandate, well, then that's a little bit more than just something that affects me. I, I think in this case, regardless of any of the legal argumentation, I think the local magistrates, for instance, like Ron DeSantis is doing now, where he just refuses any kind of mandate on, the, on that level. Good. He's actually he's actually had laws put in place that make it illegal in the state of Florida to enforce those. So if a federal officer comes into the state of, of Florida and wants to enforce a mask mandate, that federal officer can, can get put in prison in the state of Florida for enforcing that and have fines levied against him. Now, now if I one think, of the sheriffs, I will actually arrest a federal officer because most sheriffs are like, oh, I'm not going to arrest a federal officer because, quote, he, uh, he, he's outside of my purview. He's, he's got greater power than me. And I'm like, no, if you're a sheriff... You have the supreme authority over that county. Like, 
you can arrest federal officers, and you should arrest federal officers because, yeah. well, they're federals for one, but two, they're 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 tyrants. <laughs> um, just just because yes. they just because they work for you know the the three letter agency, whether it be FBI, ATF, or KGB, you have an obligation that if they're coming to enforce tyranny, you should arrest those agents because they, they are do. outside of their purview. And the fact that the sheriffs will not stand up to these federal pigs, it's quite a travesty because because the sheriff is the last line of defense for the citizens. So let's just take Waco for an example. The sheriff should have rolled down there and arrested every single one of those ATF and FBI agents for firing on citizens of the state of Texas. But no, but no, because they're federal freaking agents and because they can lie and make up stuff about a certain cult, quote, and now they were a cult and they, they, you know, they should have been treated like a cult. But the very fact of the matter is just because they're in a compound does not give them a right to kill women and children and they should thus be arrested and thrown in Texas penitentiary. But, but I'm going to calm down now. But, but Ruby Ridge wasn't a cult. Right. Well, yeah, Ruby Ridge. All of those, all of those agents should have been arrested. So, so what happens? What happens now? Whenever the sheriff will not stand up for his own citizens, the one that he represents, the one that he swore an oath to protect and defend, what happens after that? Well, it's passive resistance, and and the the, the people themselves refuse to cooperate. So we become ungovernable. I mean, I'm 100% down with becoming ungovernable. Like, I, 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 no, no, seriously. Like, I respect the civil authority. I do, and I respect the purview of which they, they, they are in. But when they overstep that bounds, they should be resisted peacefully at first. We should, we should, we should be a part of the, uh, what, um, what this one podcaster calls the silent insurrection where we just take back our liberty and don't ask questions. You take your liberty back one step at a time. You know, whether it be, you know, like I like to use the, the whole metaphor of growing a garden, like grow your own food. That's a powerful act of sedition. It really is. But it's peaceful. But it takes power away from the government because it says, I don't need you for this little bitty area in my life. Therefore, eh, go screw all right, that's all we're saying. We're we're not we're not advocating for violence. We're just saying you don't have authority here, so kick rocks. Well, and and building, you know, Tor- Torba, who's probably one of one of my favorite modern uh, figureheads right now, uh, Andrew Torba of Gab. He he advocates for the silent secession, and. What this is is building an alternate economy, uh, alternate everything, uh, alternate tech, alternate economy, alternate businesses, and just operating completely independent of the current system so that when the current system falls, you already have your thing going. I think that these are great ways because there's nothing really illegal about doing that, and and there's there's nothing really illegal about saying, you know, these are – we're 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 focusing on a particular demographic, and the demographic we're focusing on is Christians. There's nothing illegal about that, and you play to that strength, and you have to be wise about how you interact with the laws. But you can still resist in these in these building ways, which is which is really what in this a lot of a lot of what you know the two of us on this podcast are, try, are trying to focus on is is the building aspect. We're, we want to build people, and we want to build an alternate way of interacting with one another. So then we're not, we're not, we're not relying on the current powers that be to operate. Well, and, and also you, you, um, you get good at, at playing, um, le- uh, legal jujitsu. So you, you see a law where, okay, it says I can't do X, but it doesn't say I can do Y. And that's kind right. of on the border, like you're skirting the edge. Like, I, I can't... Okay, so it, it is technically illegal to make a casserole and sell it to your neighbor. Okay, 
but it's not illegal to give a casserole to your neighbor. It's only it, the casserole only becomes dangerous when there's money involved. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so, Joel Joel Salatin makes this point, and I highly quote highly recommend this book. It's called Everything I Want to Do Is Illegal. Great book. It'll teach you some some great legal jujitsu moves and how to kind of skirt the system. And, and also, if if you kind of want to get into the gray market, I mean, I'm a good agorist. I, you know, hey, uh, I'm not telling you to do anything, but it's not illegal. It, it's definitely not like I would never tell you to break the law ever. Breaking the law is bad. It's sinful. We shouldn't break the law. Okay, just throw that disclaimer out there. But there's certain things that aren't illegal they're they're kind of in this gray area like yeah you know but you, you know that that's a good way to resist like bake your bake your neighbor a casserole take it over there and if you happen to find money laying on the ground when you're walking back to your house oh well i mean no one's gonna fault you for picking it up right finders keepers losers weepers <laughs> <laughs> But uh, these are just sim- these are just simple ways for for you. And these are not you know prescriptive examples. These are meant to get you to think at ways that you can perform um, you know the, these peaceful insurrections and this silent ju- you know these legal jujitsu's on how to resist tyrants. Uh, resist the devil and he will flee. Will resist tyrants and they're just going to get mad. And they can't do anything about it because your neighbor's your your neighbor that bought that that casserole from you ain't gonna rat you out. So well, he did not buy the casserole. You oh, gave it to right, him. right. That that you gave the casserole to. <laughs> My <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but okay. So sometimes a peaceful revolutionary revolution is beneficiary, like. We we yes. can't, we we literally and, live in a country that was founded upon a secession of revolution, right? And and Dabney. So the second thing that that's good to point out here is that God does not prescribe a form of government to us, and this is important because. The nature of the government does not lend that government legitimacy, necessarily. There are ways in which it can be legitimate, no matter what form it takes. So, dealing with the type of government that you have, or perhaps rebelling against the government you have and replacing it with another one, these are things that can be done within the context in which you're dealing. And it doesn't have to be violent. And I, and I guess the, the specific thing in which you and I would, would really advocate avoiding is the whole violence part. It, it's, um, if I can quote you know, Doug Wilson twice in one podcast, they don't take the bait. Because um, they really want you to take the bait. So seriously, if there's anything else that you take from this podcast, if there's nothing else that you take from this podcast, don't take the bait. Um, but you can be peaceful, you can be wise, you can be prudent. And I believe that our, our government is to the point where resistance is almost required in, in, in some form or fashion or another. And there are subversive ways to be resistant, but outright rebellion, um, i.e. we're going to violently push back against the government, or we're going to violently overthrow the government or violently throw off the government. Uh, These are not legitimate ways of dealing with the government. I I think it's important to point out here that um, the only times that the... um... That it, that that it was legitimate in the past was a, as a defensive measure. So when the colonials uh, sought to seek their independence and they sought to secede from England, they they fought a very defensive war. They did not fight an offensive war. 
remember the Redcoats fought, fired first on the on the on the grounds of Lexington Green. Everybody says, "Oh, it was a shot heard around the world." And no, it was probably the captain of that that uh that regiment that that came to uh, confiscate the weapons. Uh, and that was an example of the citizenry resisting that magistrate that had gone so far that they were willing to commit violence to its own citizenry for right. for illegitimate and, reasons. So and, they. And, and our and our government is to that point, by the way. They're willing to commit violence against you for doing some of the most innocuous things. Um, and and this is kind of this is kind of the deal. Um, I'm going to quote Dabney here. Um, he says, uh, and and this is this is part of his resisting tyranny. That um, he says third. That hence there must be in the ruled the right to revolutionize if the government has become so perverted on the whole as to destroy the ends for which government is instituted. This right, this right must exist in the ruled, if anywhere, because providence does not work relief without means, and the righteous means cannot be found in external force, according to the law of nations. The divine right of kings is no more sacred than that of constables. So... What he's saying here is, you know, revolutionize here does not mean necessarily violent revolt. This is what we've been, this is the dead horse we've been beating here for the last 20 minutes or so. Um, revolutionary, revolutionize doesn't even mean switching systems of government. It simply means to change the government as it is from what it is to what it should have been or from what it is in its illegitimate state to a legitimate state. Um, this could be as simple as changing the magistrates, which are over you. And that could be a revolution because that revolution changing the magistrates could actually change how the government is utilized. And you could actually limit government if you have just magistrates the kind of way that we're speaking about right now with this alternate um, economy is we're revolutionizing in the sense that we're changing who controls the flow of information and who controls the flow of finance so that MasterCard or, or Visa, because they don't like your politics, can turn off your card right now. And if your bank only uses a visa or a mastercard debit card it means you don't have access to your money right now they can do that and they have done it to people well in this alternate economy you would build alternate payment processing services this is perfectly legitimate to do it's perfectly legal for you to do and these alternate payment processors would not be digging into your personal politics to allow you to use their payment processor. This is kind of what's being talked about now with the silent, the silent secession. Um, where I think this will inevitably eat lead is I think that government will become much more local. And I think that you'll see actual governments either change or be completely replaced because the people just will have no need for the government that's in place now, which I think would be the best way of handling it is you would starve the system uh, period. You would starve it for people because you just wouldn't work for them. You would starve it for um, you would starve it for relevance because you wouldn't use their services and you would starve it for importance because you would just ignore it entirely. Um, a government can't be sustained in an area that just doesn't recognize its legitimacy. Well, that's kind of what I was saying about the ungovernable zones, but really, this is the solution that ANCAPs should have been all over. You know, back when I back when I was retarded and I was an ANCAP, um, I, I didn't even think like this. But now that I'm not an ANCAP and I see legitimacy in government, I'm thinking more and more like an ANCAP should think. Like I don't need to use this government service because this, like, I don't oh, just just for instance. If we had private roads, I wouldn't need to use a state DMV. 
does that make sense? Like, I don't need to use the state's uh, welfare system because I have a uh, I have a church over here that's willing to um, to help support me through my time of need. Make the government irrelevant. Like, ignore them. You know. For, for, yes. I mean, I'm I'm not saying if you ignore them, they'll go away because they might actually try to come and shoot you. But, but if you ignore them, nine times out of ten. It, they, they kind of like like the only thing, the only thing given the tyrants' power in Australia, is that the masses are 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 keep giving them legitimacy. Like if a hundred thousand angry um angry citizens of that penal colony actually wanted to make a difference, they would just walk outside the house without their mask on, and the cops couldn't stop them. What are you gonna do? Kill them all? They, well, that's they, what they're they, starting to do right now. And, well, and, the, and the thing is that in the United States, more and more people are thinking like this. Um, they're they're going to go get jobs somewhere else. They're going to go work for people who share their values. Entire construction companies are probably being taken down right now. And in the next year or so, you're going to see them fall by the wayside because they've been they've enforced certain mandates and those mandates uh, just caused their people to quit. But the ironic thing is, is whenever you have half a job site walk off, those people, all they need is a contract. All they need is to reorganize, and they can start building buildings again. Like, it, it would not be and that the, hard. And, and the skilled labor is just being redirected. It's not being lost. And it's being re- redirected to companies that aren't going to require them to get those certain uh, cookies. Yeah, and, and and who are you gonna hire to replace these skilled laborers? Haitians? Like, I would really love to see a Haitian that's never seen electricity in his life be able to rewire a skyscraper. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, let's it, get into my industry a bit. Um, you're not gonna find too many crane operators that are Haitian. Right. Um, and crane operators are already in short supply. And when the crane operators start saying, hey, look, uh, we're just not going to do the thing. We're not going to we're not going to eat the cookies. Let's use the 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 the, uh, the hypothetical here. We're not going to eat. The, we're not going to eat the cookies. Well, it doesn't matter how many people you have on the ground. If nobody can operate the crane, then your building doesn't get built. But but yeah, that, I mean, essentially that's right. I mean, when when we actually get down to brass tacks, we're irreplaceable. Like even even us low. And I'm not saying I'm a lower like I'm fairly high skilled in in my profession. But even even people that are low skilled in my profession are highly sought after. And immigrants are not going to be able to take my job because it takes a good long while to get to where I'm at. Um, and you can. You can train one or two people, maybe, on a crew. It's It becomes increasingly difficult when you're training entire crews to do a job. Now, it it's not like it's impossible. Some companies will maybe get away with it. But I don't think the majority of companies are going to get away with it. And And I'm already hearing rumblings through a lot of the people that I know in my industry who are saying that their companies are secretly just not enforcing it. Um, which is kind of how the illegal hiring illegals has gone for a while, where they just don't force it. But now it's for cookie mandates instead of illegal immigration. Yeah, I, I just I, I just don't see how they're um, how they're going to get all these skilled laborers uh, that that are walking off their job to. Um... It, it's just not possible. But 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 let's uh, let, let's kind of st- take a step back, like. We're going to see a parallel economy, and they're going to become irrelevant. We already don't follow OSHA OSHA requirements hardly at all anyways. But now we're just going to follow them even less. So the next part it gets is uh, is, is state persecution. Uh, the state nor the church has any right to persecute its citizenry for opinion's sake even if their opinion is the almighty God of science. 
did God never ordains the state nor the church to persecute? Uh, in the Old Testament, we do see blasphemy laws enforced. And I think that there still is, is you know, good good reason to have blasphemy laws in in a proper uh in a proper Christian country. Um that that isn't to say that I think we should go out and uh and um like if if Servetus was alive today, I don't think we should uh burn him at the stake. I, I, I don't. Uh because what's stopping a a group of Arians from taking over and and burning Trinitarians at the stake? Well just a majority. That that's about it. Like so I, I don't think that the, the government has purview. I don't think God has ordained the government to actually persecute um, minorities, uh, whether they be actual heretics or not. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when we get into the Old Testament laws, uh, there weren't, there, there's never really a law against having a pagan in your country. As a as a resident, um, the the law is against the people of God worshiping other gods, and where they got into trouble, and it 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 was it was usually enforced via having Assyria or Babylon come in and just stomp everybody's face into the ground. But this the the. It, it bears it bears mentioning that ancient Israel had a church-state union that was part of their covenant with God. We no longer have that church-state union as part of the covenant given to us through Christ. So there's a there's a difference in the nature of the government first, but second. There, there weren't even laws under the Old Testament covenants that required that all people within a country worship God necessarily. There were, again, some blasphemy laws, and that was part of the church-state union. But if you, if you translate that equity into the, into the new covenant, uh, operating a state, um, it would... I think look more like not allowing your magistrates to blaspheme and having magistrates being held to a standard where if they blasphemed, they would not be able to hold office. I would even be okay with, uh, let, let's just, you know, use a hypothetical country, uh, Jesus land, for instance. Um, you must be a Trinitarian Christian to hold office. You must be a Trinitarian Christian to be a citizen of the country. You can have non-Trinitarian Christians, or excuse me, non-Trinitarians, my bad, there's no such thing as a non-Trinitarian Christian. You <laughs> can have non-Trinitarians, non-Christians, live within your borders. They just wouldn't be citizens. But right. not being a citizen doesn't make someone non-human. Uh, I think that's I think that's one thing, and uh, yeah, again, we're going to reference Douglas Wilson for the third time. You know the reformed pope, um, <laughs> but but he he recently said, um, you know he recently said something to that effect, like just because you're not a citizen doesn't make you not a person, and I think that's something that that most people don't actually understand is citizenship is something highly valued. So so me and you are going through basically the same Bible reading plan. And uh, we we were going through a uh, part in Acts where Paul was talk, talking about his citizenship. And um, the guy was saying, well, I purchased my citizenship with a high price. Citizenship should be either birth or paid for a very high price. Like, citizenship in, in, in living within a country's borders should not be the same thing. Uh, citizenship should be something that should be revered. I mean... We didn't really touch on it too much in the last, but being a citizen entails you with certain rights. It also entails you with certain duties to your country. And, and right. now and nowadays anybody can be a citizen and you don't have a you don't have a damn duty to your country. Well and, and I, I I believe that I brought this quote into the last last podcast we had, but um 
it, under under the title on, on inalienable natural rights, he talks about rights that were given to all people, regardless of their status, class, etc. And he goes, but among the among the inalienable natural rights of all are these: privilege to pursue and attain one's rational and equitable end, virtue, and that grade of well-being appropriate to the social position of each for time and eternity, and for adults, liberty of thought, inquiry, and belief, so far as human compulsion goes. The former is an inalienable right because it attaches to the boon of existence, which is God's gift. Hence, all all restraints or institutions of civil society, which, which causelessly prevent this, are unrighteous. But even the title to existence must give place to the commonwealth's right of self-preservation, as when she calls upon even her innocent, innocent, her innocent citizens to die in her defense from invasion, or when she re- restrains capital crimes by inflicting the death penalty. So, being a non-citizen doesn't exempt you from having these inalienable rights, but it does mean that you don't get the rights of a citizen and you also aren't held to the responsibilities that a citizen are held to either. So there's a give and take. This is a conversation that you're having with the greater civil community here, not just this arbitrary, well, you were in this country, therefore you get voting rights, which is where we're going, by the way. And, and Dabney kind of tongue-in-cheeks talks about how um, you know the Republicans of his day would vehemently you know, die on the hill of uh, defending the rights, the voting rights of the unborn, which I, I don't think even he could foresee that we would just be slaughtering our children left and right through abortion and being allow, uh, and allowing illegals to vote instead. But um, I, I, I guess the I guess the takeaway here is that uh, everyone has these rights, and then according to your class or according to your position in society, you're given additional rights and responsibilities so that you have the liberty to utilize your role in society to the betterment of, of, of the entire community. Um, and how we would say this, I guess, in a way is that you would benefit the, 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 the commons. So your, your influence in the commons is the important part through the exercise of your station in life. Uh, so dealing with each person according to their class or according to their station, uh, judging the, the justice and the equity that they bring to the commons is part of what the government does. But this is kind of irrespective to their personal belief systems or their personal, their personal way of viewing things. So this freedom of thought is given to uh all people within the jurisdiction of this government, even citizens. And then further, beyond simply the right, the freedom of thought, the freedom of, um, for instance, the freedom to educate the children, this this necessarily means that the state doesn't have the authority, and there's nowhere in the scriptures where where the state is given the authority to determine what you believe. So it's they can't determine doctrine. And this gets into why the state was never allowed to establish a religion. Even if it's Protestant religion or a specific Protestant sect. Because the state's job is not to govern doctrine, that's the state, that's the role of the church. So there's a separation of powers in terms of the the, the interactions in the social um, the social jurisdiction that these three forms of government have, the state, the church, and the family. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why we want to keep a... Um, and, and this is a very reformed thing, like the Church of England, while they could be classified as part of the Protestant Reformation, uh, they're, they're still a little bit closer to, um, to pre-Reformation than, than we would be. 
So, so both Presbyterians and Baptists would see a distinct separation between the realms of the church and the realms of the state. The church is the keeper of doctrine. Now, they still shouldn't persecute um, like the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, they, they, they still, but they should say they should maintain the standard of doctrine, and then the the, the federal government maintains the standard of law. Uh, so now, what you're saying is that they should know to expect you. Repeat that. They they should know when to expect you. Yes. Because they don't. They, they never expected the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> it's, okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, anyway. The joke was there. The joke was there. I had to drop it. Well, the, it my, it wasn't ringing a bell. That that's yeah. That that's purely on me. But okay, so in Dabney's day, well, actually, it was before Dabney's day. So so when the states were first established, there was actual state churches. The federal government was prohibited from establishing a federal church. Now, why would that be? Well, that that would be because a a federal church would conflict with state churches. No one is going to, like, okay, so the national bird is the eagle. The Alabama bird is the yellowhammer. We're not going to go to war between the state and the federals because of different birds. We would probably go to war over our our denominations. I don't want to be Episcopalian. And the Mississippi bird is the mosquito. (laughs) <laughs> correct, correct. The ter- <laughs> the pterodactyl mosquito. That's right. Yeah, and don't you forget it because they won't let you. Any- <laughs> anyways, we're not gonna go to war over our state bird, okay? Or versus a national bird, but we would go to war if you tried to make this good old Baptist an Episcopalian, because that's probably what the the, the federal uh, church would have been had they been allowed by Congress. Note, by Congress, the First Amendment only applies to Congress. Anyways, yeah, I don't want to be an Episcopalian. So, the founders strictly prohibited from having a federal church. So, I mean, what's the difference between a state and federal church? Well... In a state church, the state isn't going to force every church to be that way. To one extent or another, they were still allowed a a um, a wider swath of of different denominations. You know, Virginia you had you had your Episcopalians and your Presbyterians within the same state living somewhat harmoniously. But the state, the official church of the state of Virginia was still a, the, um, I want to say it was the Anglican Church, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I uh, but, that's right. But this was this was far before the uh, the war between the states. Um, but yet they still managed to keep a separation between the state government and the church. So, I mean, that, that that's a purely reformed concept, because before the Reformation... You had hardcore sacramentalism. I mean, e- even the Lutherans were sacramentalists until you know they they went wherever they went after Luther. Uh, Luther died believing that he was a Catholic, a big C Catholic, uh, and and the areas that he had influence over was still a sacramentalist system. Uh, now, m- me being a good Baptist would would look at a sacramentalist system and turn my nose up to it because. Well, I don't think that the state should be in bed with the church. Like it's just not like I don't see that having any warrant in scripture other than Old Testament Israel and we're not Old Testament Israel, we're New Testament Israel. Well, and and here's a quote from Dabney and I and I have to add this in there because it's um it's a good jab at the accolades that are normally given to the north. Um, and he, he says uh, that the Protestant reformers did not at first evolve the doctrine of religious liberty or separation of church and state. The former was taught by Milton and Owen, and the latter by Jefferson and Madison. Virginia was the first commonwealth in the world which, 
having sovereign power to do otherwise, established full religious liberty instead of toleration, with independence of church and state, and which placed the stamp of crime upon the African slave trade. The latter law she enacted in October 1778 in the midst of the throes of a defensive war, 30 years before it was done by the government of the United States, and 40 years before the overpraised and tardy action of Great Britain. So even here, he's he's saying, you know, originally they didn't have, um, now originally they had state churches, but you know, even here he's defending uh, Virginia as providing full religious liberty instead of just toleration of religious uh, uh, variants. Well, even with Virginia having a state church, and um, I, I'm going to bear repeating myself once more for this podcast. I feel like I just constantly repeat myself, but it doesn't matter. Um, they, they still had that separation, even though that that church was, you know, an established state church. One of the good things about having a, a, a separation of the of the two is that we don't see the... The uh the, the the political sphere hovering over the ecclesiastical sphere, or back, vice versa. So so whenever a a uh, let's just say a governor walks into his church, he's still going to receive proper church discipline, regardless of whether or not he's the governor or not. And also, the pastor is not who who puts him under church discipline is not going to receive. A, a civil penalty for putting him under church discipline. Right. And, and that's because they're over, you know, uh, they're over different spheres of, of social interaction. And, and the church is regarding our, our spiritual community. And the state is over our civil community. So having them operate independent of independent of one another, in a sense, this isn't a, a, an absolute statement, but in a sense they're operating independent in that they're specific to their spheres of influence, their jurisdictions. Having them limited to that allows punishment to be appropriately uh, uh, deliberated out. As you're saying. And you don't cross the streams. Because then uh, the pastor doesn't doesn't get away with his sexual immorality because he's a pastor. And he the state doesn't have any authority over the pastors. And the magistrate isn't refused church discipline because he's the magistrate. Right, and and then you also don't have the uh, the state punishing you for for um, heresies. So we don't have the church, to, or the, excuse me, we don't have the state defining heresies either. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, they are not the holders of church doctrine. We're not except for be... open theism. We can punish open theism. Well, yes, I mean because well. <laughs> They're losers, right? They don't know. They don't know what we're gonna do, anyways. Ha <laughs> ha. But but you know we 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 don't we we wouldn't want the state to to inflict carnal punishment upon spiritual at spiritual matters, and we dang sure would not want the church <laughs> punishing uh, carnal crimes in a spiritual manner either. Like I mean. We wouldn't want the two mixing because it would be improper. That and they're not ordained that way. And if they go outside of what they've been ordained, what did we learn at the beginning of this podcast? They're tyrants. But right. e- either one, like if if the church is going over to the civil and the civil go or the civil going over to the ecclesiastical. Um. But um, well, that brings us to the last section of uh. Of, of this essay and of this book, in all honesty. And um, that's whenever uh, Dabney talks about um, the right of suffrage and how it is not an inalienable right. So we have three inalienable rights given to us by our Creator, 
and that is life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Note I didn't say the pursuit of happiness. No, I'm going to go straight up property. You know, I'm going to go straight, what was that, lock? Uh, well, uh, pursuit of uh, property was, was lock-in, actually. Um, they changed it to... Pursuit of happiness uh, so that you didn't get into the of, whole slave issue. Correct, yeah. Yeah. That was a that was a compromise between the the slave owners and not and the and the, the, and the not Yankees. slave owners. Well, <laughs> the Yankees owned a lot of slaves too. So. Well, that's true. Well, I, I, I think, honestly think that less people should vote. Like, I, I don't think that I don't even know if you would disagree with me on that one. Like, less people no, today don't should vote, and I, I I I would I would go with the founders and that you must have a stake in society in order to vote. Like you must have skin in the game. So I'm, I'm quoting Dabney here. Uh, the extremist Jacobins do not deem it right to extend suffrage to minors. Why not? The answer must be because they lack the knowledge and experience to exercise it safely. They are human beings. It would be absurd to disenfranchise them merely because they're of a certain age. The argument must be that this immature age is a sign of their disqualification for the function. Now, if a class of persons over 21 years of age are marked by a similar incompetency, why should not the same exclusion be applied to them? To give the incompetent a power which they will abuse to their own injury and to the injury of their fellow citizens is not a right, but of injustice. That claim leads to the to unreasonable and self-destructive results. For should it be that a class of citizens in the Commonwealth are of such a low grade of intelligence and virtue, not yet, to, not yet in the class of condemned felons, as to use their suffrage to destroy their fellow citizens' rights and their own, reason, says the Commonwealth, is entitled to self-preservation by disenfranchising them of that power. So to kind of reinterpret this this whole blob of text here, um, there's several different characteristics that should be applied to people before they can vote. One is their ability to cognitively understand what's going on when they vote and to understand the government under which uh, they've been placed by God. And second is that their virtue and the exercise of their vote would be understood to be that of a good vote. And this is important because he take, he's, he's specifically, in the second part, he's specifically hitting against people, for instance, who are career criminals, who are constant criminals. And this isn't an irredeemable status, by the way. They can, they can, they can be redeemed of the status. But when someone has lived their life in vagrancy or in crime, they shouldn't be given the right to vote, and they should be they, they should they should be restrained in this way, because their irresponsibility is going to overflow into how the govern how how the the magistrate governs, especially in this case because they can choose who the magistrate is. So, in Summarizing this from from our position, I would say that the, the three things would be uh, permanence or constancy in a in a community. I would say invested. Cognitive... Invested in a okay. community. I, I I I would say that those are pretty close, if yeah. not the same. Right. Uh, the second would be the cognitive ability to understand the government and how it operates and functions. And the third would be uh, citizens in good standing with the community. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Like, I'm I'm not one of these people that, you know, if you commit a felony, that you should have all your rights taken away. I believe in forgiveness. Um, I think that once you've reestablished yourself after committing a felony, you should be given your rights back, one hundred percent. Um, but. There has to be a line that needs to be drawn. I don't want the 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 vagrants of society making laws. I don't I I, I don't want the the um the um vagabonds 
coming into my community, staying just long enough to be able to register to vote, and and screwing up my area. This this is my home. I I, I my family has been in in the state of Alabama since before it was even a state. Okay. I I take pride in that because this is my home. I don't want someone that that doesn't have any roots here coming here and changing it in such a way that I that makes it makes an area unrecognizable. I think this is one of the greatest arguments against universal suffrage. You know, I I don't think that that just because you you happen to to you know you happen to move to an area that you're actually considered from that area that you don't have roots here that that's not a bad thing either like pe- people whenever I whenever I talk about the rootless people or the people that have recently moved to my area I don't hate them I just don't think that you're a local yet you're still human but I don't think you deserve full citizenship because you don't have the roots here yet. Get get roots. Stay about 30 years. You know, earn yourself a place in the community. Service guarantees citizenship. <laughs> Unironically, that's what I, I kind of like that part of the book is, is if you want citizenship, serve. Be a servant. Well, and, and the added thing here, because this... This entire essay is about women's rights, women, women getting the right to vote. Um, you know, a, as has been previously stated in the, in the last uh, episode of the podcast, the the whole issue of women voting is an issue of authority. And the example that I've been giving to people as I I've talked to them about the subject. Um, so a woman who goes out and votes or a woman who is trying to fulfill a civic office, such as a judge or uh, a senator or, if you can believe it, a vice president, um, they actually have to leave the sphere that God's given them to perform that role. And they have to draw a distinction between themselves as a senator, a judge, or a magistrate of any kind, and a mother, and a wife. When a father and a husband goes out and he performs the office of a judge or a senator or um, any any magisterial office, He's going out and performing this as an extension of his role as a prophet, king, and priest of his home. And so he's he's operating as the authority over his home and the one to whom God comes to and asks about the goings-on in his home. So the woman is to be under subjection to her husband, and in this way, this extends to voting. Although I think that there's the other elements, I think that women are primarily emotional voters. I think this bears out in the statistics, the polls that have been operated on women voters for the last 60 years. Primarily, they are emotional voters. They are not rational voters. They they vote based on fear. They they vote based on excitement or temperament. They do not they do not vote based on the rational elements of the vote. Men, by and large, do vote based on the rational elements of the vote. And what ends up happening is that the woman ends up circumventing or undermining her husband's vote in the community by either voting against him or in the very least, not voting with him. And I've seen this many a time where there's a husband and a wife, and the wife has this mind of independence about her, where she just votes however she wishes. And in the very least, she cancels out 
the vote of her husband, if not directly undermines the vote of her husband. Um, and I think that this is a violation of the, the, the familial unity that we're required to have as Christians. That's uh, that's why I'm glad that um, I mean, one good thing that comes out of women voting is now I get two votes, um, because my <laughs> wife always asks me how to vote, and so I get two votes. Same. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 but yeah, I mean to 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 circle back to where we first started, um, women voting would be women seeking authority and seeking authority outside of their own station and, um. What do we call it when someone is exercising authority outside of their own station? Tyranny. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised. And you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep, but beauteous fear.